You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Two small but deeply impactful words. Two small but deeply impactful words. If heard on the battlefield, or say in the hospital waiting room, or perhaps in our darkest thoughts, these two words, with these two words, everything falls apart. No one ever wants to say these words to themselves, let alone to another person. And few are resilient enough to withstand their devastating power. What are these two unbearable words? No hope. No hope. Hope is something we need. Hope is something we look for. Hope is something that when it's lost and unable to be found again, it leaves us mortally wounded. If you've ever known someone who's had no hope, they're probably not doing so well. Hope is crucial for healthy human existence. Without hope, people perish. Hope is vital for our lives. And so not surprisingly, hope is a predominant theme in the Bible. In fact, it's so important, it's one of the three things, did you remember this, that the Apostle Paul said are eternal. 1 Corinthians 13, three things Paul writes will last forever, faith, hope, and love. Now, if you haven't been with us, and I know I've said summer's over, but our summer series is kind of bleeding into the beginning of fall, but this summer, and we're going to continue this for the next couple of weeks, we've been looking at the meaning of biblical concepts as expressed through their original language of Hebrew and Greek. And in that trend, in that series, today we're going to turn, and you'll see the word on the slide in just a second, we're going to turn our focus to the theme of hope. And what the, what the hope <laughs> or the intention is, is through exploring how hope is understood biblically and reflecting on how the first Jewish believers and then later Christ followers spoke of and, and envisioned hope in their lives and in their world, we will have a better understanding of God's meaning, God's intention of hope in our lives and in our world. So we're going to begin this morning, you have it open, by looking at just one example of an expression of biblical hope, and it comes from Psalm 130. It's not that long, so we're going to read the whole thing, and if you're ready, let's hear it together. Psalm 130, it reads, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is hope? What is hope? 
in a generic sense, in a very just sort of general way, hope is associated by us. It's often associated with the anticipation of something or an aspiration towards something. If we're looking forward to something, uh, we're, again, anticipating or inspiring towards it, we might describe ourselves as being hopeful. And with this general definition in mind, if that's kind of where we leave it, hope can often become one of those words we throw out rather flippantly, right? You know, saying things like, well, I hope I win the lottery or I hope I don't get a speeding ticket. And really what we're saying, if you get behind that, is I wish I would win the lottery, but I know the odds are so far against it, I don't really think I will. And, and, and that's something I want to point out, that nuance to our common usage of hope that bears highlighting, that nuance that's right there. You see, when we speak of hope, <clears throat> we see hope as a feeling or a desire that something might work out. In fact, the modern psychological definition of hope is this, to wish for, to expect but without certainty of the fulfillment, to desire very much, but with no real assurance of getting your desire. In other words, a generic understanding of hope is what we often call wishful thinking. The anticipation or aspiration for something we might not receive. We may hope for a new job. We may hope for good health. We may hope for these things while not knowing if we will receive them. We may hope for a better day, but not know what the day will bring. What I'm calling this generic, general, secular hope, what I mean by secular hope is a hope detached from any sort of spirituality or faith. This kind of hope is not a guaranteed hope. It's not a guaranteed hope because it's subjected to changeable people and changeable circumstances. And therefore, when we speak of hope just in these terms, just in this basic definition, the strongest impulse behind this kind of hope, what keeps this kind of hope alive, what pushes it forwards, is what we call optimism, right? And optimism is choosing to see how circumstances, no matter how difficult, could, could work out for the best. Optimism is choosing to perceive how things turn out in a favorable light, even if one's wishful thinking isn't fulfilled. It's optimism is finding some silver lining in what did result and basing one's hope on that. That's a generic, a general, a secular understanding of hope. But what we're about to learn is biblical hope is so different. There are two main words that translate hope in the Old Testament section of our English Bibles. The first of those words is going to be on the screen right now. The first word we translate into English as hope is the Hebrew word yachal. Can you say that? Yachal. And yachal means to wait for. Yachal is actually found only in the Hebrew language, and it can't be convincingly connected to any of the ancient Near Eastern languages. Yachal is a really a unique Hebrew word. And in this idea of waiting, in terms of waiting, yachal has this connotation of standing firm. It's this idea of patient endurance, of being in laborious anticipation of something. In the book of Genesis, for example, after the flood that engulfed the earth was over and the waters began to recede, we're told Noah had to yachal for weeks. He had to wait, patiently endure for weeks as the waters would recede. I told you there were two words in Hebrew for hope. The second word, which you're going to see on the screen, is that we translate into English as hope is this Hebrew word that is kavah. Can you say that? Kavah. Very good. Kavah. And kavah, as you can see, also means to wait but with a little bit of a different connotation. Uh, to help you get behind that, the root word of kava is this word kav, K-Q-A-V is how we would transliterate it. Kava, kava, 
kav, excuse me, is the word cord. So that root word is cord. And if you think about a cord, when you pull a kava or a cord tight, there's this state of tension that's created until there's release. And that visual image of a, of a cord being pulled tight like that helps us better understand the nuance of hope, of waiting with kava. Just like when a cord is pulled tight and becomes tense until it's snapped or released, kava is about the tense expectation, bracing oneself for what's going to happen. For example, the prophet Isaiah depicts in, many, in one of his prophecies God as a farmer who plants vines and then kavaz, waits expectantly for good grapes to come forth. In fact, these two words are so closely associated that quite often yakal and kava appear in parallel. And when they do so, they're reinforcing that hope involves both of these dimensions of waiting. The prophet Micah, for example, talks about farmers who both kava and yakal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So what are both of these ideas of waiting or hoping is biblically hope is about standing firm confidently while leaning forward expectantly. Standing firm confidently while leaning forward expectantly. Now, from this very brief definition I've given you, these two words, I hope that you see the distinct difference between biblical hope and secular hope. Secular hope, as I mentioned before, this general generic hope is wishful thinking, right? You know, fingers crossed. The outcome is in question. Biblical hope is waiting patiently yet with confident expectation. The outcome is not in question. There is certainty as to what will come to pass. More than optimism, biblical hope is about confidence to the point of a guarantee about the future. In other words, in Hebrew, hope isn't just a pie-in-the-sky dream of what may be. In Hebrew, hope is about the real anticipation for something better, something you truly believe is coming. Now, that's all well and good, but what's the basis of this kind of certainty, this kind of confidence in terms of biblical hope? Well, the basis of any hope, biblical or otherwise, rests in its object, right? I mean, if hope is about waiting or expectation, then the realization of hope depends on something or someone. And biblically, in nearly every use of the word yakal or kava, the object of hope, you're not going to be surprised by this, is Yahweh, is God. This is true when it's either expressed externally as like an encouragement or a command, when the scriptures say, kaval, kava, uh, uh, yakal, wait for hope in the Lord. It's also expressed this way when it's someone speaking to themselves, that personal conviction of, I will yakal, I will kava, I will wait for, I will hope in the Lord. In fact, even the few times, and there aren't many, when no explicit object is attached to yakal or kava, the implication is still of one waiting, of one hoping in Yahweh. It's important, this understanding of the object of our hope, because hope can be uncertain. Hope can be deceiving. Hope can even be false when it stands on something or someone that may not be able or willing to fulfill it. Remember what I told you, generic hope is not guaranteed. When we speak generically of hope, it's never guaranteed hope because it rests on changeable people and changeable circumstances. But biblical hope is ironclad because it's rooted in the person and the character of Yahweh, the Lord God, our creator, our redeemer, 
our sustainer. And this is why the scriptures will repeat over and over again in the context of talking about yakal or kavav, hope, talking about hope, they will say Yahweh is unchanging. Yahweh does not change. Yahweh is not bound by circumstances. Yahweh's thoughts are not our thoughts. Yahweh's ways are not our ways. Yahweh is absolutely able and willing to work through human circumstances in order to accomplish what he purposes for us. Like I said, mentioned this before, the basis of secular hope is optimism. Optimism, choosing to see that circumstances, no matter how difficult, could work out for the best. But biblical hope, unlike secular hope, is not based on optimism. It's not based on the best we can work out for ourselves. Biblically, the basis for hope comes out of what Yahweh promises to work out for us, for our best. So we understand the object of our hope biblically. It's in Yahweh and the basis of our hope. It's the character and the purposes of Yahweh. But how do we discover the Lord's plans and purposes? How do we discover what that is? We discover it through his word. That's why we, God gives us his word, his scriptures. Because biblical hope is, again, not a question of what could happen. It's a declaration of what will happen because talk is not cheap with Yahweh. God gives us his word. Think about that statement. God gives us his word. When you give your word to someone, you say, I am putting my life behind that. I am putting my credibility behind that. God gives us his word. And when he gives us his word, it's different than us. We often can say things we don't mean. We can often say things that we don't follow through on, that we take back. But the scriptures are clear, and it's one of the distinctive things about, again, how God works and about the character of Yahweh. Yahweh never says something that he doesn't mean. Because Yahweh's word, as the scriptures tell us, does not return empty. It's through speaking, interestingly, that Yahweh creates, that God makes things happen. We often say things and nothing happens when God speaks things happen. The truth of the gospel, the hope of the gospel is revealed through Yahweh's actions. God gives us his word and then lives, makes his word living. That's why we speak of the Bible as a living word. This understanding of hope that I'm kind of laying out for us is so distinct from our generic, that's so distinct from this generic one that I gave you to start with is exactly what the psalmist is invoking here in Psalm 130. If you have it open, you can look at it. If not, I'm going to take you through it. The psalmist is reflecting everything I've just said to you. The psalmist says, put your hope in the Lord. In other words, hope is to wait upon the character of Yahweh. And the psalmist goes further and points to something specific about Yahweh's character. Put your hope in the Lord. And then the, the psalmist goes on and says, in the Lord's unfailing love. And then the psalmist turns inward and says, in your word, I put my hope. To hope is to wait upon the promises of Yahweh. The object of our hope is Yahweh. The basis of our hope is the character and purposes of Yahweh. But what are those promises? Or to put it another way, what is the content of our hope? What is the content of biblical hope? And the slide that's going to come up on the screen, I'm going to help us view the Bible's answer to this question of the content of biblical hope in terms of two poles. The content of our hope now and then, okay? For now, the content of our hope, the promise of Yahweh is forgiveness. Notice this is the foundation of the psalmist's hope here in 130. But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. The first pole of our hope in Yahweh is grounded in his willingness to forgive our sin. 
to pardon our rejection of him, to offer us a path to reconciliation in our relationship with him and with each other. Our hope begins in Yahweh's promise to establish a means of our atonement, a way for us to be cleansed of the stain of our indifference and of our rebellion, that stain that marks both our life together and all creation. I don't know if you caught this when you had your Bible open when we were reading this, but the liner notes for this song, this psalm, read a psalm of ascents. And this, this liner note, a psalm of ascents, actually characterizes all the psalms, all the songs that fall under this heading are in Psalm 120 through 134. They all have this, uh, this liner note of a psalm of ascents. And what does that mean? What is that referring to? Well, historians believe that tagline, a psalm of ascents, this, they, this name comes from these psalms were sung in repetition by worshipers as they ascended the road to Jerusalem to worship during one of the three great annual festivals, Passover, Pentecost, or the Festival of Booths. It's also believed that these psalms were most likely sung by Levite priests as they ascended the 15 steps to minister at the temple in Jerusalem. And why did they ascend those steps? To make sacrifices and to atone for the sins of the people. All of this is, again, reminding us that the depths of our hope begin to rise out of the promise of the Lord's forgiveness. But as I've said over these last couple of weeks, you probably have heard me say this a couple of different times, and I'm probably going to say it a lot more because we need to hear it. Forgiveness is only the beginning of the gospel. Forgiveness is only the beginning of the gospel. And it's true here too. Forgiveness is the beginning. It's the starting point. It's the now. It's the initiation of our hope. But pay attention as the psalmist begins by hoping in Yahweh's forgiveness and then proceeds to look ahead to perceive his hope to be filled out with his and Israel's complete salvation. The psalmist says, with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Psalm 130 reflects these two poles, these two poles that establish the content of our hope with Yahweh. What is the now and what will be the then? The psalm begins with the declaration of the now of our hope, the what is, that Yahweh has forgiven our sin, that Yahweh forgives us. And Psalm 30 ends with the assurance of the then of our hope, what will be, the, our full redemption by Yahweh from the effects of our sin, our enslavement and addiction to self, the divisions, discriminations, and the hurt that persist between us as human beings, and the brokenness, abuse, and injustices of this world. That is what the scriptures declare is the full redemption that God promises for us. That is our hope then. This is yakal and kava, hope as perceived by the psalmist. And this same perspective of hope, of kaval, kava, excuse me, and yakal is echoed by the prophets of the New Testament, of the Old Testament. And, and this doesn't stop there because on the other side of the horizon, of what they saw, where we stand. Also, this is the same testimony of the New Testament and the apostles. Interestingly, the early Christians, the early Christians testified that the content of the hope that we see here in the Psalms, the content of the hope spoken of by the prophets, the content of the hope of all who had come before as children of Yahweh, the earliest Christians say the content of hope became incarnated in Jesus Christ. We're a couple of months away from Christmas or Advent, as we call it, leading up to Christmas. And hope is a big word because we see all of those promises, all of the character of God become flesh in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the first disciples witnessed both the object of our hope, 
the character and person of Yahweh and the basis of our hope, the presence and the promise of Yahweh become flesh and take action. With Jesus, through his work on the cross, the now of our hope, right? The declaration of Yahweh's forgiveness no longer needed to be established through repeated sacrifices. There was a turning of the page in terms of the now. You are forgiven, but there is no longer any more need for sacrifices. Yahweh in Christ willingly gave his life once and for all so that everyone, so that we would place our hope now, not in what we offer to the Lord, but instead we would receive our hope from what the Lord offers to us. Everything. Everything he is. And beyond the cross, through the resurrection, the first followers of Christ also perceived a breakthrough in terms of the then of our hope. The empty tomb of Jesus was understood to be not just another signpost to the promise of our full redemption from the effects of sin, but the New Testament writers speak of the resurrection of Jesus Christ as opening a new gateway of hope. The resurrection of Jesus is the hope of our resurrection. Overcoming death, the ultimate consequence of sin. It's this hope that enlivens our life beyond death. Even more than this, more than just hope for our lives, the first disciples recognized in Christ's resurrection the establishment, the beginning of the redemption of the universe. The work of Christ through the cross and the resurrection was understood as the hope of the liberation of God's creation from corruption, the renewal of all things back to their original and intended glory and purpose. This gets fleshed out in the New Testament through the parallel word in Greek to kahava and, and yakal. Yakal and kava are the Hebrew words for hope, but the word in Greek for hope, which is going to come up on the screen, is elpis. Elpis. Elpis is the Greek word for hope. Elpis is used by the writers of the gospel of the New Testament to describe how the object, the basis, and the content of our hope come together in the person of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul preached the good news about Jesus was the elpis of glory, the hope of glory. Paul wrote, we believe Jesus died and was raised to life. And get this, for Paul, this was not one hope among many. Again, something we pray ends up being true, but really doesn't affect anything or anyone else. No, for Paul, this elpis, this hope is certain and sure. Jesus died and was raised to life. And if Yahweh really raised from the dead Jesus from the grave with a body that is no longer subject to disease, death, and decay, then for the gospel writers, something akin to, something akin to overturning the law of gravity has been unleashed into the world. For Paul, the elpis, the hope we have in Christ, is the confident expectation, the eager anticipation of a new heavens and a new earth of this world in all of its richness, all of its depth and complexity, becoming and working the way it was always supposed to be. And Paul's not alone. The apostle Peter in the New Testament wrote that we have a living elpis, a living hope in Jesus Christ. For Peter, if death is no longer a one-way, dead-end street, then every person who's baptized into Jesus' life, death, and resurrection shares this hope, shares the promise of Christ's victory over death. This living hope, Peter writes, is one that enables us to be reborn into new persons now, people filled with the authority and power of the Holy Spirit. And yet this living hope is also one that inevitably transforms us into the image and character of Jesus this is the then of our hope in Christ, that you and I will eventually become at last who we were created to be, 
all we were meant to become. Our lives exist between these two poles of Yakal, Kava, and Elpis, these two poles of hope. The now, the certainty of our forgiveness, our clean state, slate, our fresh start in Christ, and the then, the assurance of our redemption, our life beyond death, a life restored to its full potential and possibility, the very best it can be. But of course, we live in between those poles. What about the life we live between now and then? As the next slide comes up on the screen, that's a question we need to wrestle with because, again, while we can hear about our hope now and our hope then, we live in this space in between, and in that space in between, life looks a little different. I mean, haven't we all, in this space in between, haven't we all at some point winced as our best laid and most righteous desires have gone unfulfilled? On the road to maturity, right? Don't we all get it? Have we, all, have we not all experienced on that road to maturity in this space in between that we've been schooled, right, by the lessons of a few crushed dreams? Is anyone in that space in between now and then immune from experiencing the loss and agony of those moments, you know, of unfulfilled potential, of unrealized possibility, those moments that really, if we're really truthful, can actually leave us feeling hopeless rather than hopeful. What is the content of Yakal, of Quava, of Elpis, our hope? What is the content of our hope between the two, the two poles? And biblically, the hope we have now, the hope of what is our forgiveness and empowerment of Christ, and our hope then of what will be our full redemption and transformation in Christ, the hope we have between that, those two poles, is the promise and assurance that Yahweh is leading us into his goodness. That Yahweh is leading us into his goodness. At its center, if you really think about it, Biblical hope is the assurance that God is working all things together for our good. Now, we've got to be real careful here. We've heard that before, and we kind of stopped there, but we need to really we need to meditate on that, chew on that biblically. That at its center, biblical hope is the assurance that God is working all things together for our good. But that doesn't mean hope isn't that God will grant our every desire. Many of our desires go unrealized. And before we start to say the Bible claims, God will give you the desires of your heart. We covered this a couple of months back, but I'll refresh your memory. Before you start to say, wait a second, but the Bible claims God promises he will give us the desires of our heart. Be sure to pay attention to the whole thing David said, rather than only quoting the part of the verse that we like to remember. David said, take delight in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's unpack that real quick. Some of our desires are childish. Some of our desires are spiritual dead ends, even destructive. Our hope, David is telling us, derives not out of the, out of the fulfillment of our desires, but out of God's desires, out of delighting in his promises and plans for us. God will give us the desires of his heart for us. But still, living between now and then isn't easy. Still not easy. We don't always know what tomorrow will bring. There are situations we face, directions our lives can turn, challenges that come before us where the specific outcome is uncertain, even bleak. 
But the same yakal and kava, the same hope that defines the two poles, is the hope that informs the life we live between the now and the then. And Jesus, once again, is this hope. Jesus, as the writer to Hebrews puts it, is our sure and steadfast anchor because Christ's forgiveness and resurrection ground us in a reality that stands at odds with the shakiness of human life. All the infinite ways things can daily fall apart in our lives and in our world. We find this hope, the hope that is Christ, by looking back in order to look forward. Hear that one more time, by looking back in order to look forward. God's past acts were the basis of hope for the Hebrew prophets. That's why they bring them up all the time particularly Yahweh's deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt. Their hope was found in the fact Yahweh had saved them before and would do it again. Biblical hope is about looking forward by first looking backward. Our hope in Christ is found by focusing less on the future and more on the past. And honestly, for most of us, we have a tendency to be fixated on what's going to happen next. What's the future going to be? And time and again, the scriptures say say to us, our hope is not found there. Our hope is found here in order to look there. Look back in order to look forward. Our confident expectation, that eager anticipation of biblical hope, of what Yahweh will do, comes from remembering and celebrating what he's already done for us in Christ. And this is why we talk about in the church, counting your blessings. This is why we come together on Sunday. We come together on Sunday not forgetting, not saying, oh, this is what's in front of me right now. This is what I'm worried about. This is what's going to happen next. Help! We come together to go in the midst of I'm so fixated on what I'm worried about. I'm so fixated on what I don't know. I'm going to come back, and that's why we come to the table. That's why we engage in a, in a liturgy in a certain way that we worship to be reminded, who is this God? What has this God said? What has this God done? And that is intended in our, and that's why we sometimes we say these things out loud together. It's not just by rote. We're not being robots. We're saying those things so that instead of being filled with all of our fear and our doubt and our fixation on ourselves, that can be replaced with the profound awareness that God is with us, that God is for us, and that we can actually see his fingerprints all over our lives and our communities. You see, the thing is, This certain hope that God in Christ is working all things together for our good, when we understand that, when we understand how to see that, that becomes the lens by which we can interpret and embrace the day-to-day reality of our lives between now and then. See, biblical hope is the antidote to a life of deep insecurity over what surrounds and opposes us. It's it's the antidote to being suffocated by fear. And frankly, they're more and more, and it's troubling to me, not a distinction between those people of faith and those who are not. People of faith, people who know Christ, are, are just haunted by insecurity, suffocated by fear. There is no insecurity or fear to be had if you understand biblical hope, the hope that is yours in Christ. We're not promised an event-free life. Okay. In this beautiful but broken world, we will have trouble. Jesus told us so. And though we may not avoid every obstacle, though we may not overcome each challenge before us, we have the certain hope that our ultimate deliverance, our eternal destiny in Christ remains secure. 
And it's out of this hope that there is peace. This is the peace that passes all understanding. This is the peace that the Lord gives. This peace that enables us not to be afraid, not to panic, but to take each step as it comes to us, guided by Jesus. This same Jesus who still looks us in the eyes and says, follow me. Follow me. Biblical hope is the alternative to living out of despair. And so many of us, if we're living out of this place of anxiety and fear, we're living out of a place of despair. We live in a world right now, and again, there are issues that we need to wrestle with. There are things that are taking place that we need to talk and see change. But some of us, the word is an outrage culture. We're just continually angry. We're continually mournful, lamenting. And again, I don't want us to lose the passion of the change that God is doing in our lives and in this world, that the change God wants to see in this world. But there's a difference between being passionate and being angry all the time. There's a difference between being confident in what God is doing and seeks to do through us and working and letting God work through us and lamenting all the time. We are living in a world where more and more people are being convinced, convincing themselves that history leads nowhere. That no one is in control and therefore grab what you can, get what you can while you can get it because no one's really in charge anyway, so get yours, not mine. And in this anger, outrage culture, even with the best of intentions, we're replicating the very thing that we're fighting against. We're upset about what's happening. We don't like what we see. The antidote is not for us to go, well, we'll show you. We can be more angry than you are. We can get more crazy than you are. We can throw rocks and insults and and stereotypes just as easily as you can. That's not biblical hope. Though we may not know what tomorrow may bring, though we can live with a place of knowing that, that things are not the way they're supposed to be, we have the certain hope that God in Christ is not only filling the void of our lives, but he continues to stand in the void of human history. He is very much in control. And his kingdom is among us. It's out of this hope that there's reassurance. Reassurance. Reassurance in our deepest selves. Reassurance within our deepest passions. God-given passions of God's presence, of Christ's presence with us. Of his power and authority at work through us. Of his immeasurable love for us. And that he is leading us. And he is leading others through us somewhere better than today. We have this certain hope that even though here today we don't know where all the tomorrows, what tomorrow may bring, we have this certain hope that when all tomorrows end, Yahweh in Christ will redeem all that has been lost in our lives. He will right all of the wrongs and he will make all things new. Are you living out of that hope? Or are you living thinking you're fighting a losing battle? Are you living thinking that it all depends upon you? That you alone will change the world? Or that you alone can make no difference in the world? It's both sides of the spectrum. God is changing the world through you and through me. That's the gift of grace. And yet, at the same time, God doesn't want us to just sit idly by. We all have a part to play, a purpose. We have been given gifts And that hope is realized when we don't just sit on the sidelines. And that hope is manifest, it's fruitful, when we don't strike back in anger or in desperation, but we act out of love, out of confidence, 
and faith. The psalmist, I don't know if you caught it, you probably did because people come back to this a lot. The psalmist offers us this visual image, a visual image of this hope. And there's a slide on the screen that I hope tries to capture your imagination of as he paints this picture for us. It's this picture of a watchman on the city wall standing guard. And if you stop and think about this picture that the psalmist paints, think about this watchman for a moment. His outward circumstances are not ideal, right? I mean, this, this, this is not where you want to be. It's the dead of night, and there are things all around him lurking in the shadows. I mean, his job, why he's there, is he's looking for the enemy to attack under the cover of darkness. That's the picture. And yet, notice how the psalmist paints this picture. This watchman is not waiting, filled with anxiety, wondering whether his best hopes will all be shattered. Man, I'm screwed up here. Man, why doesn't somebody else get this shift, right? No, the picture the psalm paints for us is that this watchman stands at his post utterly confident his watch one day soon will be over. He stands expectant, not doubtful, that the breaking dawn is coming soon. Anytime now, the sun will rise and a new day will begin. And what's beautiful in this short, brief song is the psalmist pictures himself as being like that watchman. The psalmist waits, eagerly anticipates, confidently expects. The psalmist hopes in the Lord. His forgiveness, his love, his redemption, his hope carries him through the now of the darkness of the night to the then, the dawn of a new day. How about you? How about us? Where are you living these days? Where are you? Where, where, where are you? You know, do you feel like you're waiting in the darkness these days? Do you feel like that's where you're spending most of your life, under the cover of darkness? Fear, insecurity, uncertainty. Do you need hope today? Because again, let's just put it out there. Life is full of uncertainty. Will I remain healthy? Will he, will she always love me? Will I find a job? Will I be able to keep my job? Will I be able to handle this situation? Will I make the right decision? Will I get hurt? Christians are no more certain on these matters than anyone else. Christians are no more certain on these matters than anyone else. The follower of Jesus is not immune to grief or to sorrow. There is darkness and there are shadows all around us. But beloved, there is hope in a light that the darkness cannot overcome. More than wishful thinking. More than optimism that everything will work out in the end. Our hope is in God, in Yahweh. Come down with us and raised up first on the cross and then from the grave for us in Jesus Christ. This hope is God's promise of our forgiveness and redemption of all creation. This hope is God's promise of our welcome into his kingdom. This hope is God's promise that nothing will separate us from his love. This is hope. This hope is God's promise that he is working all things together in this life for our good. And this hope is certain. You can bank on it. 
Because what the Lord promises in terms of our future, he has already done in our past. Our confident expectation and eager anticipation of what Yahweh will do comes from remembering and celebrating what he has already done for us. Our hope in Christ can illuminate the future only to the extent that our memory stretches to the past. So let us recollect and remember. Let us reconnect the dots of God's promises in our lives, in our families, in our relationships, in our shared history, and of course, as recorded in his word. Because there, in the depths of our hope, we will find the God who is deeper still. Whose promises are more certain than the sunrise tomorrow morning. The dawn, the hope of a new day is rising. The warmth of its light has already broken through and pierced our darkness. Beloved, may indeed our hope be built on nothing less crucified and resurrected Christ and his righteousness.